You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Happy New Year, everyone. My name is Alex. Welcome to the 2020 edition of American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. Thanks so much for joining me. First guest of the year, joining us uh, from all the way down in Florida, I believe, uh, Mr. Dave Koch, uh, co-host of the Mickey Dudes podcast and a terrific guy. Thanks so much for calling in, Dave. Thanks for having me, Alex. Uh, so are, you are in Florida, right? Right now, I know you're from New York, but uh, are you in Florida right now? Yes, I'm calling you from Orlando. I just moved here this past uh, July. Really? And you moved there because of the theme park, I bet, right? Um. Not really. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I will say that there was always a part of me that always wanted to live close to the mouse. But uh, believe it or not, it was it was a decision in my move. I just kind of needed a change. But uh, indirectly, yes, and in, indirectly, no, because of Disney. I'm involved in a, uh organization called Give Kids the World Village. They are the uh, they're a charity organization that works in conjunction with the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And... Yeah. Anytime a child with a potentially life-threatening disease uh, has a wish to go to either Disney World, Universal, or any of the uh, Central Florida uh, uh, theme attractions, uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation gets in touch with uh, Give Kids the World, and Give Kids the World Village is the uh, wish-granting organization that makes that happen. They have a 70-acre, basically, resort that they host all of these families, uh, uh, wish children, Along with their siblings and uh, parents, get a full week. Uh, they get all. They get tickets to Universal, Sea World, uh, Disney, and all of the small, minor roadside attractions wherever they want to go. They get free tickets. They have a free week, and um, the village has a whole bunch of different types of uh, parties. And they have their own. They have their own games. They have. Um, they eat for free. It's just a full magical week for these children uh and i've been uh raising money for them for over six years now and every time i ever took a trip to central florida i was i would take some time and volunteer at the village and when i was looking for a little change and kind of shake up the snow globe in my life uh the idea of being able to uh regularly regularly volunteer at give kids the world was the decision maker that made me move to Orlando. So yes, that place is here because of the theme parks. So I guess indirectly I moved for the theme parks. Uh, so it was actually Give Kids the World that brought me down here. Yeah, so it was actually a, a pretty altruistic uh, reason that it was for the children. It wasn't it wasn't just for Dave. I guess I guess in <laughs> some ways uh I'm going to I'm going to say that right now I I get just as much pleasure and out, out of this place and I kind of I feel that I probably am at a point in my life where I need this place more than they need me. I mm-hmm. mean, they, they fill thousands of volunteer roles a week. So, but it, uh, I guess, I guess it's a, um, I guess it's a mutualistic relationship. I get something, I get something out of them and they get a lot of work out of me. Yeah. Well, so Florida has, uh, has treated you well so far. You feel like you made the right decision moving down there. Yes. It's, uh, I know. It's a, it was a major change, and it's one of those things that just uh, I struggle a bit to find. I struggle a bit to find my footing. I live about a mile away from Walt Disney World, and I try to find the balance and try to I try to avoid it as much as I can during my during the course of my week, so it doesn't get 
to a point where it just gets routine. Mm-hmm. So it's more of, but since I'm kind of in a tourist trap at the moment, it's kind of been a bit, uh, it's been a challenge to kind of find the local flair, but uh, I'm thriving. Yeah, well, good, man. That's good to hear. Um, well, anyway, I, I usually start off the interviews uh, with the exact same question. That uh, that question is, uh, where were you born? I was born and raised in New York City. Really? What part of New York City? Queens. Queens. Uh, yep. Uh, Western part called Astoria. Oh, Astoria, yeah. There's a, a Mike Doty song I really like uh, called Astoria. Um, I assume it's about that neighborhood. Um but uh, so you said you were raised there. You were raised uh, in Astoria. Yep. And uh, what was your childhood like? What were you into? What were your interests? And and how did you fill your time, other than school, obviously? Uh, basically, I came. Uh, I was basically always the more of the artistic type of kid and everything. I came from a I came from a family of jocks, and I was basically one the person that uh, I was the anomaly of the family because. I was I was born with absolutely no uh, athletic bone in my body, mm-hmm. so a lot for, for me it was like okay, well, my brothers, my cousins, all of them were out on the baseball field. I was uh, basically taking I was basically taking art classes. What kind of art were you into? Like drawing or uh, it, was bas- it was basically drawing various different crafts and stuff like that. And uh, and how did your family take to that? Are you are you the uh, how many siblings do you have? I have one uh, brother, and then a whole bunch of cousins that were basically uh, raised right around me. So we were kind of, we were a very close knit family within about maybe uh, a ten block radius. So and they, and how did they all take to your uh, to your artistic uh, inclinations over your baseball inclinations? It was, uh, I was, I was just a strange one. It was just, okay, David, David, it's just, it is what it is. Just if, if we, if we, it doesn't get talked about it. It's, it's just, it is what it is. <laughs> uh, what, what did your parents do? Uh, my, so for most of, uh, most of my childhood, my mother was a stay at home. My mother was a stay at home mother. Uh, she, um, we made ends meet by uh, she would, she would do babysitting around the neighborhood. Uh, basically, when I probably went to middle school, she um, ended up getting a city job working in the public schools, uh, serving serving the lunches where she worked until retirement to get herself a nice pension from the city. And my father uh, actually ended up. Uh, I went. We went to Catholic school, so my father went to, uh, worked two jobs to be able to pay the pay the tuition. Uh, during the week, he was a uh, Xerox technician, fixing all, fixing all the copiers of various offices that would break down. And on the weekends, he did wedding photography, both video and still. Huh. Uh, what kind of a student were you? Uh, I was prob. I, I'm gonna have to say that for most of the time, I was a CD student, and then towards the end of my high school career, I I went from basically remedial to honors to Dean's Woodland College. I laugh now because I'm a high school teacher, and if I uh, basically was taking my own class, I would have failed out miserably. Really? Do your students know that? No. <laughs> that one, I keep that one quiet. Yeah, yeah. But, but you, you in college, you, you, you kind of found a, a passion for it, it sounds like. How did you know you wanted to be a teacher? 
actually, I became a teacher by accident. Um, I actually didn't go to I didn't go to college to teach. I actually uh, the the hope was I went to college in Brooklyn, New York, and the hope was uh, I got a uh, degree in business management, and the goal was to eventually be a stockbroker. Really? Uh, problem was I uh, based I'm a victim of time, and uh, I graduated in 2002 in a post 9/11 economy. Mm-hmm. where there were no entry-level jobs in the business market because all of these companies were basically tanking. And people who had this, they it wasn't a, it, there was a market for basically people who had a, a lot of experience were willing to take these entry-level jobs from major pay cuts because they were, they lost their other jobs and they were eight and they needed to basically provide for their family and get benefits. So, I had a hard time finding a job in the business sector because it was taken all the jobs that would have been in my wheelhouse were being taken by people who had so much more experience that they could afford to pay less at that time. Sounds familiar. So I actually became a teacher uh, by accident because um, it was the student loans were coming due. I needed health insurance and a friend of mine said, well, I work in a school and we need somebody for, we need somebody for about six months to uh, teach computer, com, uh, computer uh, technology from pre-K to eighth grade uh, students. Uh, there was a teacher that went on maternity leave and I said, well, I'm not, um, I'm not trained as a teacher. I'm not certified as a teacher. I didn't go to school for teaching. They're like, at this point, we're so desperate. All you need to have is a college degree. Mm. It's, a sub, it's a substitute position. We'll, uh, we'll basically just uh, we'll make do with what we have. You're available. So you, know, like you could work there, full benefits on t- during that time, and you can work on finding a job while you're, while you're teaching with us. And, so, and you I liked just, it. I took this, yeah, I took that job, and it was uh, basically uh, two weeks into the assignment, I realized I loved teaching. I loved being in a classroom and I can never be happy in my life. And I knew I could never be happy if I wasn't in a classroom. And right from there, I uh, signed up and uh, got into a career change master's program and uh, basically continued. uh, It was at the beginning. It was at the beginning of January. So uh, it's actually going to be 16 years uh, the day after Martin Luther King Day this, this, uh, this year. And, uh, Got into a got into a master's program, and I basically from the, the school liked me so much that when they re- found out that I was actually going to school, they said, "Well, you know what? We'll give you on-the-job training," and they hired me, and I started teaching English language arts the following year at the school. Ah, and so and has that been your subject ever since? It has been. Uh, I now teach in a, I I now well I did the elementary level for three years, uh, well, middle school, so sixth to eighth grade. Then I moved over to a high school where uh, I taught uh, ninth to twelfth grade at various times. Sometimes they would stick me in the uh, social studies department too um, if they if they were shorthanded. Um, and now I'm teaching in Kissimmee, Florida. I have uh, a basically an, an advanced placement uh, literature and composition class. Uh, that kids take for college credit, and I also have a um, I also have a class for uh, language learners. I have a lot of students who are um, 
from Puerto Rico whose uh, families uh, were affected by uh, Hurricane Maria. Mm. And um, their, either their businesses or their houses were completely uh, messed up from the hurricane. And rather than have their children uh, live under those conditions now, because they're still trying to rebuild, a lot of them elected to send their children to the States to uh, willing foster parents who would basically take care of them while they're down back home uh, getting... Uh, just getting resettled and rebuilding. So I have a lot of transient students who are here, who are here for the time being uh, while their parents rebuild. Wow. So, I have it. so it's basically like a, it's there. A lot of them, uh, since they do speak English in Puerto Rico, there, there, there is, uh, they speak, a lot of them speak English, but it's a, uh, they were more they were more educated in Spanish, so now that they now it's in a full English setting, full immersion in that, they're they're at they're at a they're not at a tenth grade level yet, so it's kind of like this is a class to kind of get them up to speed. So it's a it's a bit challenging. So I hit two ends of the spectrum within the day in term in terms of academics. I'm I'm teaching some very basic stuff during some parts of the day, and in the other parts I'm I'm teaching on the college level. Yeah, and that's uh, and considering you had never planned it, and and you started off your very first job was teaching. You said computer science or something like that. That's yep. pretty. That's pretty crazy that you have ended up where you're at. If you would have told me, if you would have told me when I was in high school that I would end up being a high school teacher, I would have told you you're nuts. So it's it goes to show you you never you never know where life's going to take you. Exactly. Yeah. You you would have been like, look at my fucking report card. Are you kidding me? There's no way. There's no way they'd let me teach. But here you are. Exactly. Um. So uh, let's talk about Disney, man. Um. So you're the you're a co-host of a podcast called The Mickey Dudes. Um, let's start off with that, man. Tell me about the Mickey dudes. Like how did it start and, and what's the story with it? Okay. So the Mickey dudes is a uh, podcast, uh, where, uh, nine guys and, and one lady, uh, who we added later on cause we figured ch- change with the times we needed, we needed somebody to uh, join us. So we figured let's, uh, let's be innovative. And it was a show about guys talking Disney, but like, let's, let's add a lady cause why can't why can't a woman be one of the guys? So mm-hmm. basically, uh, the show is um, pr- primarily primarily focuses on Disney parks, uh, Walt Disney World in Florida in particular. Sometimes we talk about Disneyland. We talk about Dis- we talk about Disney movies as they cu- as they come up. A lot of uh, every now and then the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, we come we we'll, we love to talk Star we love to talk Star Wars when it's appropriate. But uh, our main focus is basically uh, trips to the trips to the park. So we kind of have different topics each week. For instance, uh, a lot of people who haven't been to uh, Walt Disney World don't know that you can get some of the best uh, gourmet food in the country at some of these uh, at some of these top of the line restaurants. So hmm. we'll do we'll do things like okay, um, we're going to be picking a area of Walt Disney World, let's say the Epcot Resorts area where there's four different luxury hotels. We're gonna start we're gonna have a meal, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna uh, basically go from one hotel to the other to do the entire meal. So we're gonna go to one restaurant for uh, an appetizer. What restaurant you're going to and what are you having and why and then where are you going for your main course? Where are you going for your dessert? So we play a lot of games like that on, on the show and basically in doing that uh, people who are looking to 
take a trip to Disney or people who are into Disney that go frequently, they kind of just relate to it. And it's kind of a way for them to kind of go back to their happy place for about an hour a week. Mm-hmm. So how how did it start though? Like what was the, how did, was it originally nine guys or was it just you and a couple other guys? And then it just grew to the so, group that it's at now. Another one that it, it started as a complete freak accident. It was just, um, I happened to be taking a lot of various different trips to Disney. I had gotten into running. Uh, as I said, I wasn't the athlete. And then somebody kind of challenged me to run a 5K, which turned into eventually running a marathon. I found out that it's run in Disney World. So I figured I would, I would, I would do it there. And in doing that, I, I started just uh, basically uh, going on social media and finding all of this information about uh, running races at Walt Disney World, which turned into a various forums. And then on Twitter, I was just um, making friends that basically tweeted about Disney. I started uh, tweeting a picture of me every day with a different Disney character that I took a picture with from my trip, from my various trips there and kind of got noticed in what they call the Disney Twitterverse. And somebody basically tweeted me and about maybe 20 other, uh, 20 other guys and basically said, Hey, they should, you guys get to get a bunch of you should get together and form a podcast and about maybe, and about 10 of us bit and decided, Hey, well, maybe, Maybe they're onto something. Let's see if we let's see if we can actually make this work. And and how long ago was that then? That was um, yeah, that that was in 2014. Wow, yeah, so you so guys have over, yeah. Uh, uh, what is that? That's so, six years. Six years this year. Yeah. So we started. We started in. We started in. Uh, we started in 2015. Uh, we took about. Um, we took about. Uh, six months beforehand to kind of just talk online and on, online chat room to kind of get to know each other and plan the show beforehand so that when we actually did our first recording and our test recording, we kind of, we felt that we would know each other. It would just sound really uh, genuine. It, was, it wouldn't be like just a bunch of guys who really didn't know each other kind of sounding stiff. Mm-hmm. We were able to build a rapport with each other before we actually attempted to start this project. We didn't know how far it would go and all, but we're, uh, 200 episodes in. Yeah. Congratulations, man. That's, uh, that's, that's quite, and you guys have a following too. Like you have a legitimate following. We do. Yes. Uh, in, in terms of, in terms of the podcast community, there are, there are a bunch of Disney podcasts. So in all fairness, we are a dime a dozen. Uh, there are some major, there are some major podcasts. I happen to be uh, friends with quite a, bunch of the famous uh, podcasters who get thousands of downloads an episode. We only get about 500 uh, downloads an episode, but it's, we're fine with that. We're, we're a small little niche market. We have, we have our little, we have our following and it seems to be uh, growing as time goes on and all. We're never going to be one of the top podcasters in the, in the community, just based on, uh, based on the fact that we all have, our own lives with other stuff besides this, the people that uh, are kind of at the top, they make Walt Disney world. It's they, it's their business. Right. In some way. Right. Has, yeah. has Disney ever actually reached out to you guys and been like, Hey, are you interested in, in growing this a little bit more and, and, you know, actually sponsoring you? We are, we are not at that point yet. Um, I don't know if we'll ever get to that point because again, you need to have, 
need to have thousands of hits a day for that. So we're not con- we're not considered influencers at that moment. We're, we're actually we're actually a drop in the bucket compared to some of the other uh, well known Disney podcasts out there. Um, in that way. Well, so but, uh, how often? Well, I got two questions for you. One is uh, how often uh, do you guys post episodes, and the other is where can we find you? Okay, so we post one. We post once a week. We usually come out on Thursdays. Uh, we post. You can find us on uh, iTunes. Just uh, search the Mickey Dudes Podcast. Okay. You could also find the Stitcher or basically any any of the any of the uh, standard pod, podcast uh, platforms. Alrighty, um, cool, man. Well, uh, so. Let's. I want to talk about just Disney as a brand for a bit, and your sort of okay. relationship with it. Um, sure. What? When did your interest in Disney start? Obviously, probably I would guess when you were a child, but specifically, when did it start? And um, how has has your has your interest in Disney changed as you've grown into an adult? Okay. Well, um, again, uh, because nothing is ever uh, nothing is ever standard in my life. Uh, again, it's all. Um, it's all just kind of just sort of happened. Uh, like as most children, you know, grew up watching Disney movies, enjoying Disney movies. When you get into your, when you get into your teenager, t- teenage years, it's like, okay, you're not really interested in Disney movies anymore. I mean, I was during the animation, um, revolution that they were having, uh, their Renaissance. I was a teenager during the whole, uh, Aladdin beauty and the Be- beauty and the beast, uh, lion King, all of those coming out. So I kind of, at that point, it was just, you know, a boy growing up, you know, you didn't talk Disney or you didn't. So it was, if you wanted to watch, I would just kind of like run over to the uh, video store on the sneak and basically just my VCR when nobody was home, watch the movies when I didn't want anybody catching me watching a Disney movie Mm -hmm. at that point and kind of kept it secret. Uh, through my twenties, it was, uh, you know, I, uh, there, my twenties, I really had that not much interest in Disney. It was like, okay, well, you know, if I was dating somebody at the time and she wanted to go to a Disney movie, yeah. Oh, great. I'll, I'll go to a Disney movie, but, uh, believe it or not, there were some movies from, there were some movies, uh, from the, uh, early two thousands when I was in my twenties that I still haven't seen, uh, Finding Nemo is an example, believe it or not. Uh, it was it came out during a time when I wasn't interested in Disney, and uh, I've told some friends since this that I, I have a I have a good friend that I told that I never saw Finding Nemo, and she just thought it was completely uh, blasphemous. And I promised her that I would watch it with her for the first time, and it was just I lived in New York. She, I lived in New York at the time. She was living in Philly. Every time we got together, we had a list of movies that we didn't get to see, that we didn't see as children. So we would watch various ones of those together first. And Finding Nemo was on the list. We just never got to it. So I still kind of I know this from going to Disney World. They have a couple of Nemo attractions and everything. I know the story, but I've always kind of held true to her, and I always promised her that eventually we're going to get together, and one day we're going to sit down and watch Finding Nemo together. And so, and so now that it's on, you, you have it on the internet forever. It's definitely going to be, you have to do it now. We're going to, you're going to make it happen this year, right? (laughs) It's going to, it's going to happen. Well, if she comes in, if she comes down to Florida and visits her, her sister is now a, uh, 
Her sister is now a uh, Disney cast member, so hopefully she'll come visit her sister one day. And I'm a mile away from the property, so yeah, no, no excuse. I would definitely make that happen. Yeah, you guys knocked that one out. Yeah, I, it's so interesting to hear you say like you you weren't a kid when the Disney Renaissance was happening. I I was a kid. I grew up in the '90s, and then when I was a teenager was when you had that sort of the you had the Renaissance in the '90s, and then in the 2000s, Pixar was still going strong. But the Disney animated exactly. studios really dipped off. It was probably the lowest point it's ever had. Maybe the eighties uh would would could top that in terms of for lack of a better term, uh could top that in terms of uh like how bad the movies got reviewed and how little money they made. But so it actually kind of fit because I was a teenager and I had stopped paying attention to it anyway, so I I wasn't really missing anything. But you you know, you you said you had to sneak down to the video store because you, you you didn't want anybody to know that you were still catching these movies because they're that's the thing like they're they're good movies like you can watch uh, any a pixar movie uh most pixar movies anyway and a lot of the disney animated classics and watch them as an adult and they still hold up that you it's not like watching uh you know some cartoon that you liked as a kid and you watch it now and you're like wow what did i ever see in this this fucking sucks uh but these movies are all really well made yeah definitely um so do you have like a favorite one that you uh, that you prefer out of all the animated ones well, of Pixar's and the whole thing? Um, I do. Uh, do you want me to? Do you want me to go back first into how I actually got back into Disney? Yeah, go for I, it, man. All right. Um, so, believe it or not, the way I got back into Disney was I was I started uh, dating uh, somebody, and uh, I was actually making plans to propose to her. And I had talked, I had talked about at this point in my twenties, I had all through my twenties, I had traveled through Europe. I had traveled all over the United States, but I had never been to it. I had never been to a Disney park before. Hmm. Uh, growing up, I always wanted to go to Disney World. My parents always wanted to take us, but there was just no money available to go. So during my twenties, it was like, okay, I'll, I'll go. But I had nobody that was interested going with me. I figured it would just uh, be it would kind of be uh, creepy for a guy to go to Disney alone. Uh, fast forward, side note, during, side note, now I live here and I go to the parks alone all the time and it's my zen, so go figure. <laughs> but at that time, I felt, so, I felt so weird about going alone. So I was, da- I was dating this woman and uh, we were about to, I, was, I was saving up to propose to her. And all, and I figured I'm going to make it a, a really uh, grand proposal. She had been to she had been to Disney when she was younger, and wanted to go back. And I had never gone before, so I pl- we planned a 10 day trip to Disney World. And the last night, I was going to the grand finale. I had rented a boat on I had rented a boat on uh, the Crescent Lake to watch the fireworks in, in Epcot, a private boat boat, and I was just going to pop the question after the fireworks i had i was planning this trip for a long time and that's when i found uh, basically the online disney community of people that would just talk about planning trips and i started i started asking questions in various forums i met people that were helping me plan my trip i wanted to make this the, i wanted to make this trip spectacular and really impress her with it and I had all of these reservations. I learned everything I could about the, the rides, the attractions, every hotel. I had, I had activities planned at, at the various different hotels. I became 
um, I became basically the uh, the um, I could have been my own travel agent based on huh. the information that I was that I was able to amass just online. Uh, travel agents go through this uh, course called the College of Disney Knowledge. I pretty much took that course to just kind of just learn what was available to really make this a special trip. Uh, and of course, life throws you some curveballs and all. And uh, basically, uh, three months before we decided the trip, she broke it off at me. Hmm. So yeah. did did you go yeah. anyway, though? On your own? No, that trip actually. I t- actually, I was able to get my money back, and I was able. The ring was still on layaway, so I was able to basically get all my money back. And I, out of depression, I basically just got a couple of the guys together and had a bender trip in Vegas. Oh, that's that's much better. That that's a good way to deal yeah. with that. But with that said, too, what was really as devastated as I was at that time, the other thing that I was kind of mourning was the fact that hey. Uh, I had I made all of these friends on online in the in the Disney as they call it the Disneyverse, the Disney Twitterverse, and it's like okay, well uh, now I guess since I'm not going and I'm not going to be taking the trip, I have no reason to go on these websites anymore. I have no reason to kind of just interact with these people, and I kind of I kind of missed them. So I actually started at one point I went back onto the, uh, onto the websites and we started helping other people plan their trips. Cause I had all this, what I was thinking was useless knowledge at that moment. And, uh, pretty much from there, I, uh, I turned 30. I decided that, uh, for my, for my 30th birthday, uh, the summer after I finished teaching, I had not been to Europe, uh, yet. I was going to backpack through Europe for about a month. I finished the trip and then it was, uh, I didn't want to go, I didn't want to go home yet. I wanted to continue traveling. So when I got back to the States, I had a family, I had a family member who, uh, an aunt that, uh, moved down to Tampa and she had a granddaughter and I said, okay, well, here's my chance to finally go to Disney world because now I can bring a child and, and bring my aunt with me. And basically I can, I can basically, uh, not look creepy doing it. Right, and I could get to experience it myself. So, I finally was able to put all of this Disney uh, knowledge to good use, and it was like the minute I walked in, I felt like I was home, and I just knew I had, I had, I knew where everything was, having never been there. I just, I had studied every map beforehand, so it was just, it was just so natural to me. It's like, okay, from there, I bought an annual pass, and I'm like, I will be back, and I'll be coming back frequently. And so, and, and that's, and, and have you, did, have you been, been making it there at least once oh, yeah, a year? That was, so that was, that was 2010. And, um, I made since 2010, I've made about maybe at least six trips to Disney per year. A lot of times for uh, both Disney world and Disneyland, a lot of times planned around, uh, what they call run Disney. Uh, I started, I started running and, um, they have half marathons. They have a full marathon. As a matter of fact, the marathon is this weekend. It's the first time in uh, it's the first it's the first time in about six years I'm not running a race. Uh, I had I stopped running while well, I stopped running earlier this year while I was doing my move, just kind of just getting coming down here, finding my footing. I didn't have enough time to train, so I decided to take a uh, a year off from from. Uh, doing any of the races here. I've done the marathon three times. I'm retired from marathons, but I still do halves. 
So um, this weekend, I'm actually I have about maybe 20 people that I'm that I've met through the Disney community that are down here running. I'm going to be on the sidelines for the whole weekend, cheering them on. I'll have uh, I'll have oranges for them at various at various times. I'm just going to I'm basically going to track them, show up at different uh, mile markers, and just cheer them on and just give them sugar when they need it and various nutrition. Yeah, hell yeah, man. There you go. Um, and so it was through the park though that you started getting more into the, or was it through the park that you started getting more into the actual Disney brand again, the movies and all that kind of stuff? Exactly. Yes. To really appreciate the parks, uh, I had to go back and look at some of the movies, some of the, that either I grew up with or some of the new ones that I wasn't familiar with to really appreciate what they were doing in the parks. That's interesting because like, it's it's i'm trying to imagine what it must have been for like been like uh for you walking in that that first time in 2010 uh and you'd, you like you said you knew where everything was but you'd never been there and like you said you were basically your own travel guide so that must have been like what was the first thing you did like what were you like okay i got to go to splash mountain first or i got to go to space mountain yeah. or you know exactly and the first time i saw the first time i saw mickey mouse it was like i was seeing a movie star <laughs> He uh, he wasn't one I of the still, characters that you got. That way sometimes. What's that? I still get that way when I see the characters. Yeah, well, that's. I mean, I remember like I went in '96 and I was how old would I have been? I was nine uh, in '96, and um, that is like when you're a kid. Those are not people in costumes. Those are the actual characters, and you know, so you're kind of. It's like meeting any celebrity as an adult. You're like, I want them to like me. Oh yeah. You know. Uh, to me, that to me, they're they're still the character. Now, granted, I I now have friends who are quote unquote best friends with those characters. I guess you can figure out what that means in Disney talk. <laughs> but and I I know that they I I I know I know how I know how it I know how the Disney break break room works and everything. But even still, when when they're out when they're out when. When they're out in the parks, it's called on stage. When they're out on stage in character, I'm seeing that movie star at that point. Every time I see Peter Pan, for instance, I'll look at him and I'll start crowing like a rooster. <laughs> wow, yeah, that is that is authentic, there, man. The, uh, yeah. the you want to know my uh, story when uh, this this I hadn't I hadn't thought about this in forever, but uh, when I was at Disney World. I remember we were at one of the restaurants. The whole thing when you're when you're nine years old, the whole thing is just a blur as to you don't know where anything is. It's all just sort of this big magical like universe of its own. Um, so I don't remember the name of the restaurant, but it was one of the restaurants. I think it might have been at Epcot. Um, but what, what I remember is for some reason my family left. They left me at the table. I was the only one there, and I remember Tigger came over. The guy in the Tigger costume, and he just grabs my hand, pulls me out of my chair, and just starts jumping. He's like, oh yeah, let's let's bounce because that's what Tigger does, right? Tigger bounces, and uh, yep. so I I jumped with him a little bit, but then I'm 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 like, I don't want to be the center of attention either, so I'm just kind of like, yeah, nice to meet you, thank you so much. I sat back down, and that was the end of it. But I I just thought that was so, like, I'll never forget that that guy coming over to me, and, and all of a sudden he, I'm like, what the hell is he doing? He's jumping up and down. Oh, he's bouncing. Okay, yeah, I get it. Oh yeah, I'll bounce with the other. All right, thanks, Tigger. Now I, I, I'm gonna sit down and finish my meal now. Uh, but uh, I can I can I can I can one up that one. Go for it. Basically, from based based on your description right there, it was in the Magic Kingdom. You went to the Crystal Palace because and that's and because that's where Tigger meets during 
for people during restaurant meals. Oh, <laughs> there we go, man. Awesome. Yeah, you were in the Crystal Palace. All right. Well, now now I know. So there we go. But what's what's your story then? The the one up. Oh oh, oh no. Uh, that, that, no, that that was just I was just adding. I was just adding oh fucking a. Oh, I see what you mean. You're yeah, okay. Yeah, cool. Well, I'm glad you figured that out. Now I can when I tell people that story, That's I can say specifically where I'm at. There we go, yeah. man. Um, I gotta ask you, like, since you're so familiar with the parks, like, what it what do you recommend for somebody who's like going there on a vacation, like, if just in general, like, what are the what if not even getting into whether somebody's been there before or was there as a kid or just in general, like. What's the sort of um, okay, so trip that you would tell people to take? This, okay, so I get this question a lot, and before I ever answer this question, I ask I ask I ask questions about okay, is it an adult trip? Is it is it? Do you have children? Uh, if it's a family trip and everything, uh, the first thing I ask uh, before because then inevitably they ask me to help plan their trips. With, uh, so the first question I always ask is, okay, well, that depends. How much of a Star Wars fan are you? <laughs> and then based on, based on their, their answer to that, I plan their tri- I basically give them my recommendations based around that. I've, I've planned family trips. I've planned couples trips. Um, I've, even, I've even planned both bachelor and bachelorette parties. Believe it or not, a lot of bachelor parties happen in Walt Disney World. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think that was the case, but... There are there are a lot of people that take guys trips to Disney. The more 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 trips for just the girls, but there's a lot that there's a lot that happens, and they'll hit Disney a lot for for guys trips. Actually, yeah, that is that is not really something that you would assume. When you hear bachelor party, you don't usually think Disney World because bachelor parties are usually associated with drunken debauchery and are things that are R rated. Well, you know, well that's well that's what that's what Epcot is for. Epcot is the uh, the adults park. They have the world showcase. You can drink around the world. You can go and have a. You could have a beer. Or you could have uh, some type of spirits from every country. They have eleven. They have eleven countries represented there. So you can pretty much get toasted there. Well, good a to lot, know. A lot of times, a lot of times, drinking around the world. Now, granted, at some point, the bachelor party weekend, I'm sending them. I'm sending them to Universal. I'm sending them up other places in downtown Orlando too. We'll keep, we'll keep, uh, use your imagination, but, uh, pretty much, uh, it start, it doesn't necessarily stay in Disney world, but actually a lot like golf trips, for instance, uh, a lot of uh, bass fishing, all sorts, all sorts of activities that guys are into. You could do at Walt Disney world. So it doesn't even have to be in, in the parks. There's a lot of stuff that can be done at the hotels. Yeah, man. You, have you ever thought about like taking that on as sort of a side gig, like getting paid to help people plan their their Disney trips and their Universal trips? Uh, the reason why I don't, the reason why I don't do it in the Disney community, every everybody and their mother is a, is a Disney travel agent. I have a lot of friends that have their own. Uh, they basically have their own um, side uh, travel. They work for they work for a travel agency. Most of the travel agencies are a pyramid scheme where you have to actually, when you come in, you have to bring potential clients with you. And once you bring a bunch of clients in, that's when the new clients can, if new clients contact you, that's when they start sharing out your, sharing out uh, your contact. And one of the reasons why I don't actually do, um, 
why I actually don't do uh, Disney tra- travel agents at the moment is be- uh, because a lot of travel agencies, what they, uh, what they do is if Disney, if Disney uh, releases a, a promotion where they get a discount, a lot of times what the travel agents are trained to do is rebook your trip at the lower price. Now, granted, it lowers their commission, but the fact is if you, could, if you hire a travel agent who's going to save you money, you're going to come back to that person again later on. Right. And the issue with the issue with the issue with uh, doing that is the on the days that Disney does end up uh, dropping these discounts, travel agents call in. You could be on the phone on hold with Disney to rebook your rebook all your bookings for six hours plus. I had a friend that was doing it one time, and I was I was helping her out, and she was she was having a family emergency. And she was expecting discounts to, discounts to come out. I literally had to take a day off from teaching to be on because she was basically dealing with her family emergency on her, on her behalf. I sat on the I stayed home from work and sat on the phone for the whole day, waiting to rebook her waiting to rebook her reservations. And she gave me a cut of she gave me a, she well she tried to give me a cut of the uh, profits from it, but I wouldn't hear of it at that time. But if I'm teaching. And I know a discount's coming in. My principal is not going to want to hear, oh, hey, uh, yeah, sorry, Disney has discounts, so I'm going to have to sit around in my classroom all day, mm. make my kids do pointless busy work while I wait to talk to a travel agent to be able to uh, do my side business when this is my primary job. They're mm-hmm. going to basically tell me where I can shove it. So yeah. <laughs> because I'm not able to do that because of my career, I haven't actually tapped into that resource. Yeah, too much of a commitment based on what the time you yeah. have available right now. Exactly. Cool, man. Um, well, uh, we're about two-thirds of the way through here. I'm going to uh, just fire some questions at you here, just one right after the other, and uh, you can just, just answer to the best of your ability. Uh, the first one is, again, uh, what is your favorite Disney uh, animated movie? The Princess and the Frog. The Princess and the Frog, 2009. Why, why that one? Because what I love about that one is... It teaches, it teaches not just children, but it reminds everybody that dreams come true with hard work and perseverance, not this, just this wishing on a star crack. Mm-hmm. There's, a little ma- there's a little magic to your dreams coming true, but 90% of it is hard work and perseverance. And I think that movie kind of p- points that out. Nothing was, given, nothing was given to Tiana. Tiana worked two jobs. She, worked, she ran herself ragged. And she had to really look, take a deep look into herself before she was able to solve her problem. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't a fairy godmother coming and giving her everything. She actually had to work for it herself. And then and you when, have, and when it was offered to her, when it was offered to her by uh, Dr. Facilia in a, in a way that didn't work, she basically, she basically had, a, she took the ethical way out and said, "No, this isn't right," and she just. Uh, she elected to go back and do things the hard way, and ended up being the better person for it. Right, and and you, and you, that's the theme of like all the characters kind of learn that because Prince Naveen has to learn that as well. He comes in as this spoiled exactly. asshole, and he has to learn mm-hmm. that you know he doesn't even know how to. They have that conversation when they're frogs. I can't remember exactly what they talk about. He's but he's like I don't even know how to. I don't know how to do anything. I've, I've had everything handed to me. Uh, so and you're. Then and then he's put to the challenge, and then once once he's put to the challenge, he rises to it. He fi- he finds out that he's capable of more than he thought he ever was. Right, right. 
And, you know, I remember watching that in theaters because that was the last movie before they had the, the – they call it the Disney Renaissance. It's sort of a second Disney Renaissance now with Frozen and Zootopia and Moana and all these. But they were all computer animated. That was the last 2D animated movie that they produced that that felt like the movies in the 90s uh, with the songs yeah. and everything. And Randy Newman did the songs for that movie. Um, and I remember seeing that in the theater and, and that was sort of the last – time that i that i saw a movie like that in the theater where it's it's a disney movie it's 2d animated um and uh it's a musical and it's also based on a well-known fairy tale with the sort of spin on it the disney spin or whatever you want to call it um so that's a good movie i haven't thought of that in a long time i gotta i got maybe i should watch that again uh let me see here uh what do you think of the recent uh remakes that they've been doing the live action remakes i was skeptical at the beginning uh, at first, I was like, "Okay, this is just this is just not necessary." I was blown away by the Beauty and the Beast one. Uh, I still to this day uh, refuse to see Dumbo. <laughs> yeah, you're not missing anything. Did you see? Uh, I I think the I I think I emotionally can't handle the way they did Baby Mine. I think it would just be. Uh, And then he looks so cute, and then to to see him being bullied like that, I think it would just tug on my heartstrings way too much. Well, I'll tell you what, man. You'll be crying. If you you love Dumbo that much, you'll be crying, but it won't be because of how good it is or how emotionally arresting it is. You'll be like, what the fuck did they do? What did you do, Tim Ah, Burton? Uh, it is it is cringe bad, man. It is. And I mean, this there's some things that make it watchable, I'd say, almost. Like Michael Keaton does his Michael Keaton thing Danny DeVito uh is you know is basically Danny DeVito as he always is but everybody loves Danny DeVito uh but there's I'll put it this way the Michael Buffer you know the let's get ready to rumble guy is uh-huh. is in that and he says let's get ready for Dumbo and he says it twice unironically um the uh-huh. the pink elephants on parade uh sequence is completely gone that's not that trippy thing which is one of the best in my opinion one of the best parts of the original movie that's gone uh it's they kind of pay homage to it in this one sequence but it's it's not there um it's really a different story it's mainly about these two kids who befriend dumbo and their dad's colin farrell and they work for the circus and it's sort of about the them you know navigating this this super commercial uh you know hyper capitalistic atmosphere um so it's almost like disney was trying to do this commentary on itself but it never actually came to any real conclusions uh, so it, don't see it. You, you, you made the right uh, decision. Gotcha. Um, I, I, I'm a bit skeptical uh, about, I'm, well, I was skeptical and actually at first very anti a remake of Mulan mm-hmm. because I found out that that one wasn't going to be a musical and I thought, you know, I, you could do like, I, I, I was thinking like if they were going to do Disney on Broadway, Mulan would like lend itself really nice to the stage. Like, you could, especially like, I'll make a man out of you. They could like do this whole routine with kendo sticks, and it could just look amazing. Yeah. And I find out that Mulan is gonna. They were gonna take a turn with Mulan and not make it into a, uh, in, into a uh, musical. And I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna see it. I'm not gonna see it. I went to see the last Star Wars, and they had a preview for Mulan, and now it's like, okay, I gotta go see this movie. Yeah, it's it's its own thing. They they're doing. It's like an action movie now. It's like a crouching yeah. tiger, hidden dragon kind of thing. Yes. 
You know what I think they should remake? The live, do a live-action remake of? Uh, my favorite Disney animated classic, which is The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Because that, even the... the oh, you mean, nice, you mean nice guys finished last. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, uh, the, the, the creepy old white dude lusts after a, a gypsy woman and sings a song to it about a fireplace. And it's the best, in my opinion, the best Disney villain song there is. Uh, but I, I think that that would lend itself to a live action remake really well. Um, I think they would need to get rid of the gargoyles. They could just do it completely seriously. I, I know why the gargoyles, gargoyles are in the animated version. I remember watching it as a kid and being like, this is super dark. But the gargoyles are funny. They're in there for the kids. That's that's because it is a kids movie. Um, but if they remake it, the gargoyles should not be in it, and they should just do a straight adaptation. Uh, can I give you a Can I give you a side note? Sure. That? Okay, so uh, the Disney fireworks in the Magic Kingdom do uh, what they call projection mapping, where they actually uh, basically the castle gets animated for the entire show. Uh, and it's basically they're playing scenes from movies on the castle, and it kind of just, just the, the castle kind of uh, just like you'll see the characters in the window and stuff like that. And during the during the summer, uh, I'm watching we're watching uh, Hunchback. Basically, I'm with some friends, actually co-host of the Mickey Dudes podcast, who are in town because we're all over the country, and we actually have one guy in Scotland too. Yeah, so, I, I remember. Uh, I remember hearing that and being like, "That dude is totally Scottish." <laughs> That's cool. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so basically, I had some of them in town. So I met them in the Magic Kingdom. I'm with their families for. I'm, I'm with. I'm with their families for uh, the night, and we're watching the Magic Kingdom fireworks. And a hunchback of Notre Dame's uh, Notre Dame scene comes on, and the entire Cinderella castle basically is by basic by uh, projections is transformed into Notre Dame and there's fireworks going off all around the castle. And I'm like, ah, so I guess that's how the fire started. Uh, and <laughs> my co my co-host nine year old son turns around, looks at me, is like, too soon, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, especially after uh yeah, yeah. That's and then of course, because when that happened last year, everybody was making Hunchback and Notre Dame jokes about that's like, right. oh Frollo this and Quasimodo that. Um that's that's good though. Uh, let's yeah. see here. Um, next question is, uh, what's this? Because you guys on your podcast, you said it's mostly the theme parks, but like, what's a subject that is not discussed enough when it comes to Disney, in your opinion? Let's see. I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know how to. Uh talk about that. I think I think a lot of it uh, I think a lot of the Disney history needs uh, needs to be more uh, discussed and like you know, we're finding that we're finding out like interesting tidbits and stuff like that by uh, now with Disney plus they have these shows like uh, Disney Imagineering coming out in a day at Disney so stuff I think basically the uh, intricate work that goes into like this from the funnel from the frontal line cast members be it in the studios, uh, in the animation studios, they're uh, they're broadcasting the parks, and I think that they, I think that the uh, One Day at Disney uh, documentary on Disney Plus is hitting that really well. So you want to hear more about the appreciation for it, the history of it, and how how it, how it's come to mm-hmm. be what it is now, which is uh, this incredible 
capitalistic conglomerate, which actually I'll make that the next question. What's your opinion on the increasing dominance and the monopolization of the of the entertainment market by Disney? Like how much is too much I, IP? You see, now I'm one of these people that I'm all for IP. And a lot of people are a lot of people in the Disney community are getting angry about the fact that there's too much intellectual property in the parks, but they're like, okay, come up with some original stuff for the parks. And I'm like, no, people come to the parks to actually see these characters. And in terms of just, in terms of them basically just uh, acquiring other, uh, other intellectual properties, I'm all for that because I remember when Disney bought Lucas films and everybody was freaking out about how, they're going to butcher Star Wars, and there was all these pictures of uh, Darth Vader with Mickey ears and stuff like that, and basically everybody was saying, okay, well, that's the end of this franchise, and it's going to be terrible. I think Disney has done an amazing job with it. They've increased the canons. Uh, some of the uh, animated series are amazing. Uh, the, I, I, love the, I love the whole new, ch- the last uh, three chapters that they did. You know, I think that they've been true to the story, and they've they've tr- they they respected history, and I think that they outdone themselves. So you're cool uh, with it, then? Just the way they were able to expand the Marvel Cinematic Universe and just have everything kind of connect together. It's uh, I just I think that what the, I think what they touch turns to gold in that way. Well, it's it's interesting too because it. like I for I can you brought up Marvel again. I forget that Marvel is a Disney property. Because they only bought them in, yeah. I think it was 2010. It was somewhere around there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you're right. They do tend to improve the things that they buy. But the question is, like, you know, how much is going to be too much? Like, you don't want one company doing everything, even if they're really good at it, because you want competition and you don't want just one monolithic empire ruling over every single aspect of one particular market or, or you know, entertainment in general. Um well, so I think that there's always gonna there's always gonna be competition with that. Uh, I just kind I just kind of feel that at the moment, until until it tanks, anything Disney has just been running with these, and I feel that they're they're true to its history. And I think once they actually start trying to reinvent the wheel, that's when they might get into a little bit of a of a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, every but time I talk about this, up stuff that already has a fan base and they're, they're true, they stay true to those fans, I think then they, uh, they have a great formula. Yeah, I mean, clearly, it's, it's, obviously it's working. Is there anything that they, that they haven't bought that you think they could improve that you would like them to buy, like a, a known piece of uh, property? Uh, okay, let me see. I stumped you. I'd love to see what they would do if they. I would love to see what they would do if they owned How to Train Your Dragon. Yeah, that's those are pretty close to Disney movies anyway. That's you know fantasy animated movie sort of you know comedy. Um, yeah, that that would be interesting. Uh, it, and I was going to say every time I talk about this with somebody in terms of the the their dominance of the market. Um, if you ever read the book uh, Cloud Atlas, somebody always brings this up. In Cloud Atlas, uh, which is a novel from, I want to say, like 2003, um, and it's it's about a whole bunch of different – it's about, about a bunch of people who get reincarnated. But in the future reincarnations, 
they live in, I think it's Korea, and movies in the future are, are all called Disney's. Like a movie is just called a Disney. Like you know, Kleenex is a is tissue paper, or Tums is antacids. Um, that's how much the and I I could totally see that happening in the next twenty years if they continue to to buy things up. Um, whether that's good or bad is is up you know depending on where you're at politically and depending on where you, how you feel about Disney itself. Um, that's a that's a whole other discussion. Um, but uh, well, let's hope the Sherman antitrust uh, you know, kind of. Well, kind of uh, prevents that. Yeah. Well, we'll get. Uh, yeah, we'll get some. We'll get a Teddy Roosevelt back in there, and he'll uh, he'll he'll bust some things up, and uh, and we'll be exactly. we'll be good to go. Um, I'll I'll end the show on this question. Um, because it's uh it's appropriate. Uh, what is your favorite theme park? Disney's Animal Kingdom. Disney's Animal Kingdom, and why? I've always been a nature lover, so um, there they mix fantasy with reality very well and the animals i've been backstage i've seen how these animals are taken care of they're treated with the utmost respect i think it's just it's a great park for education about the world around us you know what man that was the one park they hadn't even built that when i was there i think they were it was probably being planned at the time but i if so if i ever go back to 1998 1998. There you go. So it was two years after I was yeah, there. Yeah, I graduated high school. And uh, so if I go back, that'll that'll have to be the first place I go then, especially if it's you know if it's a recommendation from you. So awesome. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Well, we're at, we're uh, we just did a full hour here. So uh, thanks so much for coming on, Dave Koch, uh, the Mickey Dudes Podcast. You can check check him out on iTunes or anywhere else you get a podcast. You guys have a website too, don't you? We uh, we actually. Uh, do a lot of stuff basic, basically on uh, social media. So you can find us on Twitter at the Mickey Dudes, and you can find us on uh, Instagram at the Mickey Dudes Podcast. All right, very good, man. Well, hang on the line. I'll give you a proper goodbye after we're off the air. Um, and everybody else, awesome. uh, thanks for listening. I will be back next week. Uh, Bella Brady, who hosts the uh, Bella Bash uh, gathering, it's a fetish gathering down in Ohio uh, once a year. She's going to be joining me next week, so we're going to be talking about that. Um, everybody have a great week. I will talk to you then. This has been American Weiner on podcastdetroit.com.